Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmidt, Swanee and Clarkie visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. All right, how are we? Not very, so very well, thank you. How about yourself? I'm all right. Poor Swanee, she's having terrible technical difficulties today. Oh, God, it's been the, the worst I've ever had, actually, isn't it? It's not the best. <laughs> so just in case I can't do anything about this in edit, unfortunately she's had to change to a new laptop that her husband's been trying to get her to use for ages, but it doesn't have a USB slot in it. So the microphone is the onboard microphone for Shapanda today. Uh, but she's looking stunning, so making up for it. Not that you can see, listeners, but I can. <laughs> I'm loving the summer frock. She looks Oh, brilliant. have you seen? There's going to be a heat wave in um, WA this week, like serious. So it's starting, it's been yes, nice and warm, but as of, I think, today and into tomorrow, we end up with like, it goes sort of 36, 37, 39, 39, 37. It's going to be crazy hot. Oh. So That's it's going to come over here. A tropical heat wave. <laughs> it's going to be a bit warm. <laughs> Breaking the song so. at any the opportunity. Temperature's rising. Yeah. It isn't surprising. <laughs> she certainly can, can, can. And the boys are actually on the same terra firma as uh, Swanee and I, i.e. Australia. They're back for five seconds. True fact. Yes. <laughs> yes, Having we are. Having just returned from um. China. Are they starting to get a bit suspicious? Suspicious, sorry, at customs when they go, "Oh, hi, boys, you're back again. Where have you been this time?" <laughs> oh, we are getting so good at the process. Like we get through, you know, five or ten minutes before be everyone else because we just—it's really good. I reckon the hardest country to get into. Oh, I mean, China Australia? does a lot of facial recognition and <laughs> fingerprints, but same with the US. They're both probably equally difficult, except that we don't need a visa for the US. We just need a permit thing that you can do online. An N16 or something. I've never found it a particularly um, enjoyable entry into the US and it doesn't even really matter which yeah. airport we've gone into. I, it's kind of like brace and it, it just feels long and they feel very intense and I, I always, it's the, my least part, least favourite part of this, well, I guess it is generally speaking. But Did you travel to the US before 9-11? No, I didn't. Yeah, so it might be an after 9-11 thing. I did yeah. not. I can't remember. No, I, I went after. Oh, and you can understand why yeah. they do it. 100%, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, of course. That's exciting. So, yes, the boys are back. And any the other news? The boys are back in town. boys are back in town. Any other news? I don't not think really. so. Well, apart from when this episode airs, it will be the 31st of December. So, <gasps> Happy New Year. Listeners, happy new I don't know. I did say when we record it, this will be the new year one, but clearly everyone pays attention to my notes in our <laughs> trial by one shared thing. I'm just kidding. Yeah, you well, probably should have said something. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I speaking of champagne because we're I'm not drinking it, but uh, what are we drinking? I drank a lot of champagne on the weekend. Are to... you not drinking it after all of that? Not drinking yeah, champagne, no. So I'm on a mango chutney. What about you, Swanee? No, but I'm on a, um, my first Coke Zero of the day, so I'm going to relish that. But I went to see Coldplay 
on Saturday night. <gasps> and um, yes. I saw we that. were in a box with unlimited. Well, I don't know what it was. There's no way it could. I was too pissed to really take much notice, but it was unlimited champagne. I don't know what it was. I don't care what it was, but it was bubbles. And at the end, they were still serving us even after the show finished. They're like, do you want anything else? And we're like, well, do you think we could have another two bottles? Yeah, all right. (laughs) It was so happy. It was the best night. But um, (laughs) yesterday was a bit slow, (laughs) a bit slow. But I was saying to my girlfriends, I said, I don't know what it was or drinking. I don't think I cared. I was drinking out of it. We had to drink out of paper cups. So it didn't really matter, right? It was just oh, one you? of those things where, and they were, you know, like when I say paper cups, they were fairly decent size. So fill me up. We were all rather messy. We were very inappropriately behaved. But I don't know if you've seen today, Schmitty, I was saying that the last time I saw Coldplay was 20 years ago with your good self when um, oh, your well, boss and dear friend, Mr. Rich, Sir Richard. Uh, good old Chicky Yep. Yep. Oh Mr. no! Wait, did, did you Sir go to Chelmsford? Yeah, you did. I did. And the other one was somewhere, and I went yeah, to that, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I never went yeah, to no, one. This was no, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were in the Louder Lounge, and I was talking to Tricky Dick. I was trying to convince him to invest in musical theatre, but he wasn't having a bar. Of it. <laughs> it was very disappointing. That so was very different. Anyway. Twenty years ago, camping with Schmitty. Um, in Essex, I guess it was. The oh, and yeah, that would be the infamous time when you saw yet again. What was his name? The footballer's Best. son, Callum, uh, Best. Callum Best. He was. Uh, there was a period of time, obviously twenty <laughs> years ago, when Callum Best was frankly stalking Swanee, and he might have not have known it. But everywhere Ooh. she went, she somehow ran into person. Callum Best. Yeah. yeah. No, but we didn't plan that. <laughs> and was that the same? Were you there when we had? The man from EastEnders and later um, called the midwife. Was that where we were in? Probably a because remember we were in access to that louder lounge with yeah. Claire. And, yeah, and then yeah, yeah, it I is remember then. being yeah, a yeah. bit heartbroken. And Coldplay was so melancholy at that time. I remember feeling yeah. oh, a little bit sort of forlorn, and it was all really moody and whatever else. And what makes me laugh is the other acts because I found the poster for it were Foo Fighters, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Coldplay, and Dave Gray. Remember him? <laughs> Yeah, David yeah, Gray. Yeah. yeah, such of Dave that like Gray. early two thousand. Yeah. yeah, Dave Gray. It was. It was yeah. a good period, I thought. Yeah. I also anyway. remember when we saw Callum Best. I she go. I, I don't think you even pointed him out. I turned around. I saw him walking across the ladder lounge. I said he'd be good looking if he went so scruffy and ill kempt. And Carla looks at me. She goes, "You're such a fucking idiot." That's Callum Best. He's a Calvin Ooh. Klein model. <laughs> I'm like, well, I told Ooh, you he'd be good looking if he went so scruffy. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone was. Recognize him out of his <laughs> underpants. It was very funny. <laughs> now, back in the day when we, we were um, yes. hobnobbing with E-list celebrities right, left and centre, they were fun times. Anyway. There was a long way for me to get to uh, Coke Zero. So, yeah. uh, yes, just to the Coke Zero type. What about you guys? What are you boys on? We're Ooh. having a feather top rosé. Uh, something popped up on Facebook while we were overseas nice. saying that they had released a... Uh, new vintage so we quickly ordered a case of it just so that we'd have plenty of rosé for the lead up to Christmas and quickly we got back it. on Friday it's <laughs> now Monday and we're halfway through it so yeah, yeah it there we go that'll last a week I called it what were you drinking in China chaps what were you drinking over there? Red what wine. Oh, they drink a lot of red Chinese, wine, don't they? Chinese beer, which was good. No, the wine oh, is yeah. atrocious. We saw right. our favourite. It's all our horrible export stuff, isn't it? Casella mm. Yellowtail, which I wouldn't yeah, yeah. use as Drano. 
and they have quite readily available. Mm. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, it's um, it's not the greatest for wine. I've been known to drink a bit of yellow towel when I'm financially strapped. So I suppose on that note, we should actually introduce ourselves. I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are Trial, Trial by, by Wine. We should get straight into it, Clarky. I believe you may have a little tale for us today. I do indeed. I do indeed. Um, so continuing the theme of crimes from places we visited, I now literally have, I reckon, about 25 stories um, of places we visited because I've been Googling <laughs> true crimes and all of these. There are so many weird <laughs> ones that come up. I'm like, oh, I'll do that one. Oh, hang on, I'll do that one. So I've just been saving. Uh, anyway, so today, do you want to guess where we're going to go or do you want me to just get in and tell you? Mm, somewhere in Chile? South America? No, we're still in uh, Europe. Small island in um, the Mediterranean. Elba. There's lots of small islands in the Mediterranean, Corsica. let's be honest. It's a country, though. Sardinia. Corsica. Malta. No, it's, it's, Mo- it's Malta. Malta, a country. Got it. Portugal. Oh, got it. Oh, there you go. Got it. Got it. Malta. Got it. Yeah, well done. There you go. So we only had one Was day in Malta. We actually went to Valletta on our cruise, uh, and the temperature was about 35 degrees. Valletta, that's and it. so. Lots and lots of super yachts, yeah, yeah. But if you think, you know, a lot of that 35 degrees in the valley here is reasonably okay because we've got lots of trees and grass around. As you would know in Europe, it just, it was in that hot spell that they had over summer and it was just hot. So we spent the day wandering around the beautiful streets and uh, going in and out of shops, eating pastizzis. Do you like pastizzis? Maltese pastries yeah, with right. little fillings in them. We had a few of them. Yeah, I know what they are. <laughs> and we might have snuck in a beer or two as well. So we definitely enjoyed Malta and would love to go back. But, of course, we're here to talk true crime. So, uh, hands up if you've heard that Malta is a tax haven. That's why the service is going Yeah, exactly right. Yep. Yeah. The Smear, office, did you know I that? didn't even know where that it was, but yes. No, I earn so little that tax havens are irrelevant to me. Yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. So, um, Swanee then, you may also know that concerns have often been raised about <laughs> financial and political corruption in Malta. It's two main political parties, that, the Nationalists and Labor. <laughs> so the two parties, uh, Nationalists and Labor, have close ties to the island's most powerful families and alliance between politics, business and the judiciary are sometimes blurred. Add to this an economy heavily dependent on financial services, the tax avoidance industry and online gambling, and you have huge potential for corruption. To that end, I'd like to tell you the story of Daphne Caruana Galizia. I was watching a podcast today and they were watching, I was actually was watching it on YouTube, and it was just the same screen over and over and over and over for hours. Anyway, yeah. no, I'm sorry. But they were calling That'd it That'd be Daf- pretty much um, what people experience when, if they watch us, watch us on YouTube, they get the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Might exactly be right. why we've got like so, two anyway- views. <laughs> <laughs> so they were calling her Daphna which I assume is a much better accented way of saying it in Maltese. So I will probably uh, switch in and out of Daphne and Daphna just because that's like Yeah, I knew a Daphna. She wasn't Maltese. I think she was Turkish, but she spelled Daphne but said Daphna. Yeah. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, spelled Daphne. Yeah. 
All right, so Daphna worked as a journalist in Malta for over 30 years as a reporter, editor, columnist, and blogger. She was married to her husband, Peter, who was a lawyer, and together they had three sons, Matthew, Andrew, and Paul. As a journalist, she was passionate and unstoppable in her pursuit of injustice. She was also a great listener and willing to hear both sides of a story. She was a remarkable woman, and her youngest son, Paul, said the following about her, and particularly about her career. So she was the first woman to write a political column in Malta. She was the first person to do so using her own name rather than anonymously. She started writing in 1988 at the age of 24 and broke every major story in the country since then. She co-founded one of the country's daily newspapers four years later and investigated neo-Nazis, drugs and arms traffickers, presidents, prime ministers and judges. So she didn't I'm going to hazard uh, hold a guess because you keep talking about her in the past tense. In the past tense. That she didn't pass away from natural causes. Well, you could just be looking at it Twist. in the context of her career being over. Let's just take it at that stage now. All right. And uh, okay. we'll get to find out in due course is if something else has happened. So she had okay. several nicknames by the end of her career, including the Witch of Bidnia, which is her hometown, and One Woman WikiLeaks, <laughs> because so many stories came across her desk that she then broke. So in the early 80s, Daphne and her sister Corinne joined a protest to stop the closure of Catholic schools in Malta. Daphne was arrested and strip-searched by the police. When she was released from jail, Daphne, Daphna, noted that the local newspapers weren't covering the crisis and this bothered her. At 25, with three young sons, she became the country's first female columnist and the first journalist to attach her name to opinions rather than anonymously, as was the norm. In 1993, Daphna wrote a column calling for the resignation of the head of the armed forces after it was reported that he had been helping his son, a prolific cocaine trafficker, avoid customs when entering the country. The column ended her long-standing friendship with the trafficker's brother. Then one of her sources was stabbed in the back with a knife. The following year, the family border collie was found dead on the doorstep, its throat slit. In 2003, Malta held a referendum on joining the EU. In the run-up, Daphne joined the Yes campaign, becoming an important voice for them. One of the loudest voices of the No campaign was that of Joseph, Joseph Musket an ambitious young member of the Labor Party's media department. Daphne had first encountered Musket in 1998 when he published a book in which he fabricated her involvement in a criminal conspiracy. A drawing depicted the links between politicians and mafioso as tentacles of an octopus, one of which bore Daphne's name. She sued for libel and a judge ruled in her favour. Needless to say, her relationship with Musket uh, wasn't good for um, quite some time. The referendum was passed and Malta joined the EU, but by a slimmer margin than any of the other countries voting on EU membership that year. Daphne believed that by joining the EU, Malta would join a community of well-governed nations. Whilst this was true, the union created new problems for Malta. Refugees and migrants started arriving in Malta by boat from North Africa. Daphne defended the EU's asylum law and her opposers advocated sinking the boats at sea. Sound familiar to uh, our Australian listeners? The phrase Daphna sucks black cock appeared in spray paint on a wall (laughs) in Bidnia. (laughs) I just don't get it. That made me laugh. That's why his face was a picture there. 
if, if, it's just it's I, so I don't childish. Get it. <laughs> I, get, I do get it. It's I do so get it. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what the problem is, but yeah, I get yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Well, so what if she does anyway? Then the arson attacks I think attacks it's the whole point about she clearly rights. takes the side of people of colour. It's terribly racist when you consider oh, it. Oh, right. Oh, is that what it's about? Get it? I didn't even connect yeah, that, it's the yeah, net. I bet you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> the what right-wing, white-only neo-Nazis basically saying that What did you think prefers... it meant? It just meant that she was... <laughs> she just... <laughs> she liked a bit of BBC. It's I, like, no, I think... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If someone's trying to sling an insult at her that has no relevance to anything... Like, she's a black person That's on me, not on you, obviously. I think... I don't know if you've heard it, but based on where, I've not been to Malta, but where it would be positioned if, because when we lived in Europe, there was a huge issue with, and it continues to be a huge issue with, you know, refugees heading across from the top of Africa, you know, across the Med. Yeah. And yeah, Malta yeah. would be prime posy, really, wouldn't it? I think it sits below Sicily or somewhere down there. Yeah. So it'd be, yeah. Correct. And so it would not have been on their radar until they joined the EU, so. Correct. Yeah, got it. Yeah, it's a pretty easy for right-wingers to attack that decision to join the EU. Anyway, then the arson attacks began on a human rights lawyer's car and on the cars of people who worked for a Jesuit refugee service. One of Daphne's dogs disappeared. Another was shot. Paul, who was in high school, returned home late one night to find that a group of men had tried to burn Stop down the house. Dogs. No, what the I, hell? Leave the dogs out of it. You've already had one but yeah, so then on they tried to burn down the house. Leave them out of it, yes. Yeah, well, that's bad too. Yeah. So they had stacked Molotov cocktails and tyres against the wall and set them alight. Daphne's three sons grew and uh, moved to other parts of the EU with their jobs. And after that, her writings became more controversial. In a country that was 95% Catholic and hadn't legalised divorce, she wrote that she'd rather sit Prosecco than go to church on Easter Sunday. i totally with her on that, but that's another story. Me, me too, and I'm a Catholic. <laughs> I mean, for someone who likes fucking back up, I thought it was pretty pedestrian yes. to say that she might have a glass of Prosecco, that's pretty safe. <laughs> she could have really upset them and said that what she preferred. So She could have pointed out Jesus was She was black. getting more frustrated. <gasps> Well, Madonna, here we go. Daphne was getting more frustrated with the editorial constraints of the newspaper. And so in 2008, she set up a blog. Her first post, Zero Tolerance for Corruption, was a critique of the Labor Party leader. It drew so much attention that the server crashed. And six days later, Malta held a general election and Labor lost. Later that year, her foe, Joseph Musket, uh, who was the no campaigner, ascended to the role of Labor leader, a move that placed him back in Daphne's crosshairs. Her foe is in F-O-E, not F-A-U-X. I was thinking, yeah, what, her fake uh, Joseph Musket? Oh, no, no, yes, her enemy. Yes, her enemy, okay. yes, yes. Uh, so he had reacted uh, to Malta's EU accession by reversing his, polit- his position and becoming one of the Labor Party's representatives to the European Parliament. Daphne resented him for this and included her disdain in her blog. In his first month as Labor leader, she described him as a cocky shrimp who was already proving that his party had promoted him beyond his abilities. He was, she wrote, a quintessential. (laughs) Well, it's cocky, you know, different different meaning. It's like a shrimp with a huge donger. (laughs) He, He was, she wrote, 
<laughs> a quintessential empty vessel. His voice, a nasal whine, which makes him sound like a twerp protesting that he's been waiting too long in the queue at a nightclub for a vodka cranberry juice. <laughs> They're quite good insults. Oh, I mean. that is quite cutting. Yeah. She went on to write that Musket's supporters were subliterate, his wife's behaviour like that of the worst sort It'd of... It'd be hard to spray paint it, though. It's quite like lengthy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. She's crossed out the Daphne sucks black cock and written that across the whole neighbourhood. It's an empty vessel who sounds like a whining uh, man-child waiting for a vodka yeah. cocktail at a bar. <laughs> wow. You tell him. <laughs> That's the point. Yeah. She went on to write that Musket supporters were subliterate. His wife's behaviour like that of the worst sort of vulgar, common and pushy person. She wrote, and his aides, oh dear, his aides, don't really have that much going on upstairs. So she started uh, quite a war of words between herself and the Labor Party, who responded by portraying her as a partisan hack. Musket set about trying to modernise the party platform by making it socially liberal and Eurocentric. And in the next few years, he won over many of Malta's youth. He campaigned in favour of bringing women into the workforce and legalising divorce. And after a divorce bill narrowly passed in 2011, he voiced support for gay rights. In 2013, Musket ran for Prime Minister <laughs> for being That's only the, only reason he brought uh, the it worst in, so sort of vulgar, common and pushy yeah. person. So in 2013, Musket ran for Prime Minister on a pledge to reduce energy costs by at least 25% through the construction of a new power station near the island's southern harbour. Malta's electricity at that time came from heavy fuel oil. Musket's proposed station would run on liquid natural gas, which is cheaper and cleaner. At the time, there was concern about the existing plant causing health issues for those living around the plant. At a campaign event, a woman who lived near the old power station told him that her husband had died of cancer and that eight of her grandchildren were asthmatic. Bearing in mind, this is a campaign event. Musket tells the, the old press power station she sounds to like a location eyes. out of a Scooby-Doo episode, don't you reckon? The old power station. <laughs> Yes, and the bats fly as you drive up towards it. Those pesky eight exactly kids with asthma. Yeah. Where are those kooky kids at the old power station? With asthma. Under my watch, asthma. I will close this cancer and asthma factory. We have to save these people. <laughs> oh. I don't want to hear of one child who gets sick. So he's doing his heartfelt plea. Daphne, however had felt for years that the power station made no sense. It wasn't having a bar of it. The previous <laughs> government the, had approved what, the, new the construction. One? The new one Which made no sense. power station made yeah, no yeah. sense? The previous government had approved the construction of an undersea cable to Sicily, which now connected Malta directly to the European power grid. She thought it would be unnecessary, costly and unreliable to have the new power plant. And more importantly, that it could create a cover for distributing taxpayer funds to political allies and friends. By then, Daphne's blog was getting more than half a million visitors each day. How many? Half a million. Half a million. Oh, my God. <laughs> exactly. Cue the drama. Cue the drama. By then, Daphne's blog was getting more than half a million visitors each day more than the population of Malta. The night before the election, a homicide detective named Keith Arnold was sent to arrest Daphna at home. Under Maltese law, news outlets were prohibited from publishing election-related content within 24 hours of a vote. 
and Daphne had mm. just mocked Musket on her blog. Upon her release, she told reporters, you don't expect to be in an EU member state and have the police investigating and interrogating people for writing about politics on the internet. The next morning, Labor won the election by the widest margin in post-colonial Maltese history and Musket became Prime Minister. He was 39 at the time. A few months after the election, Daphne wrote, in Malta, we take it for granted that people and businesses finance political parties so as to have their stooge in government and get a return on their investment. Elsewhere, this is called corruption. <laughs> to that point, with globalisation, Malta had become an attractive entry point to the European Union for dirty money. An Iranian bank owner apparently laundered funds and violated international sanctions through his branch in Valletta. Russian oligarchs bought Maltese passports under an investment scheme launched by Muscat's government. You can buy Maltese citizenship for 1 million euros and Muscat was travelling to citizenship ceremonies in Beirut and Dubai to convince millionaires to buy Maltese citizenship. This generates big bucks for the Maltese government and one source suggested that over 700,000 euros were made in four years. It's quite a lot. That all? 700,000? Yeah, from Did selling passports. Seven, that's a lot. If, it's a million bucks. No. What do you mean 700,000? Oh, Marin, no, it still doesn't sound like a lot. Mm, okay. I don't need Daphne was investigating. Oh, hang on. Sure sorry, no. More he's, than that? Sorry, 700 I, million? No, I think it was 700 own? million. Sorry, oh, yes. Yeah. That's much You're more like it. Right, right, right. I'll read, I'll read that again because otherwise <laughs> I'll sound like an absolute <laughs> dick. Because even, even in my head, I'm like, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it really was a lot. It's cheap. Um, right. It's not even one. <laughs> this generates this gen- <laughs> so 0.7 of, of one in four years. <laughs> this generates big bucks for the oh. government, one source suggested. <laughs> Over 700 million euros in four years. Now I'm worried that it might be 700 billion. Anyway, Daphne was investigating the passport scam, trying to determine who was mm. benefiting from it. She unveiled some damning evidence. One of my as-yet-unnamed sources, a documentary on YouTube, explains it like this, and I better go back and read my sources because <laughs> I forgot them. No, no, no. Weren't you just leaving them out so you didn't give it all away like Carla does? Well, I left the last two yeah. out so I didn't give it away, but then, yeah. yeah. And they've so got to say my all sources, of them. Right. Yeah, I've got to say uh, all of them except those, except those other two. My sources are the New York blog, sorry, the New Yorker blog, theguardian.com, euronews.com, elpace.com, ifex.org, loveandmalta.com, europarliament, uh, which is europal.europa.eu, the Daphna Corona Galizia Foundation, bbc.com, reuters.com, uh, and two unnamed sources that I won't give away just yet because they will point you in a certain direction for this story. One of my as yet unnamed sources, a documentary on YouTube, explains it like this. Until a politician received the report and decided to take action, Simon Buzzatil was the leader of the opposition. The specs he received kickbacks on the sale of passports. This is what this little slate of hand entails. 
Estate-approved agent Brian Tonner sold passports to three Russian citizens. They each paid commissions to his company as required by law. But strangely, they also transferred more than 168,000 euros to the account of an offshore company registered in the British Virgin Islands. Who owned it? Brian Tonner, the passport vendor. This offshore company transferred 100,000 euros to an account in Malta, which belongs to guess who? Keith Shambry, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff. Keith Shambry then transferred 88,000 euros to someone else, who then transferred <laughs> 60,000 euros to someone else. Yes, I got it. So that was what Daphne was working on. Yeah, so that's how the little passport scheme uh, was alleged to work. Did you notice they had very foreign-sounding names? Foreign, mm-hmm. I don't, well, I don't foreign know, to I Malta, or what I would imagine would be Maltese. No, Shem- is a really common foreign to Malta. Maltese name. It's quite English. So, oh, is it? yeah, yeah. I thought that was so that was what Daphne was working on, and so with that passport scheme, which gives people citizenship. There's a suspicion that this allows people to hide their citizenship on a global scale and facilitate money laundering. So Daphne was suspicious of Musket's actions and actively investigating the story. She had a list of 2,000 people who had bought passports and was looking into their motivations for doing so. For almost a year, Daphne voiced her suspicions that eGrant, which is another company, a shell company, that was reportedly hiding money made through corrupt dealings. Not owned by Richard. Belonged to Musket, the Prime Minister. Then a whistleblower from a bank told right. Daphne that E. Grant belonged to Musket's wife, Michelle. Soon afterwards, the whistleblower fled to Greece. The lead investigator at Malta's Financial Intelligence Analysis Unit told his bosses that he could find out who owned E. Grant and within, se- oh, sorry, within 72 hours if he was given access to the right tax returns, bank statements and Labor Party files. The next morning, he was fired. Bureaucrats were writing internal reports highlighting issues that ought to have triggered police investigations. However, they were instead quashed. Frustrated and with no other way to bring the issues to light, they would leak the details to Daphne, the one-woman WikiLeaks, transferring her from a columnist into the island's most prolific investigative reporter. And she was uniquely unafraid of potential consequences. The Labor Party erected billboards with Daphne's face on them in an attempt to put a face to the blogger. People began to recognise me who had never recognised me before, she wrote. They pulled down their car windows to shout abuse. That's not right. It's interesting, isn't it? Glenn Bedingfield, a Labor Party official and close friend of Muscat's, hosted a show that regularly portrayed Daphne as a deranged, cackling witch with a hooked nose and warts, taking swigs from a whiskey bottle as she typed up batty screeds. Bedingfield also started a blog, posting from the office of the Prime Minister. He published photos of Daphne sent in by the public, making her life on the island intolerable. He wrote about her more than a thousand times. One time she went to a beach, people took pictures of her and doctored the photos so that her thighs were larger, her arms were flabbier. Daphne's friends were harassed, when she found a cafe where people left well, her so alone. Well, so she told people. <laughs> <laughs> I think someone's done that to me. <laughs> oh, that's so wrong but so funny. Sorry, sorry. That was really appropriate. I'm much fitter than that. I know. I know. <laughs> when she found a cafe where people left her alone, it was raided by the police under the guise of an audit. 
the officers smashed glasses and threw around furniture. Daphne's sons beca- became increasingly worried about it. It's not how an audit works. It's not the standard audit. So <laughs> no. Daphne's sons became increasingly worried about her. <laughs> She's 53 and lived in an old stone farmhouse on the edge of Bidnia. Once when she was taking an afternoon walk in a nearby village, a former mayor gathered a mob and began chasing her. She took refuge in a monastery where the villagers pounded on the heavy Jesus, wooden doors. she's got to get out of Dodge. All over the island there were people who were certain that they hated her but had never read a word she had written. They simply knew her as the witch of Binnia. So you've got this, you know, the, the Labor Party putting out all of this propaganda about her and some people are just lapping yeah, it up without knowing any detail. Creating this ridiculous mob mentality and yeah. mentality. Sounds like Facebook. Yeah. Are you suggesting for a second there that some people will just exactly read information and not do their own research, not look into stuff, use no appropriate reasoning? I don't even think he's suggesting that. I don't even think they still have to read anything. I think they can just see it. They're watching TV. Yeah, they've seen how. That must be right. Or on a wall. They've seen how, yeah. Yeah. That she likes a big black They've seen how flabby her arms are. That's all they needed to know. That's right, that's enough right there. (laughs) In October that year, Daphne wrote in her blog, there are crooks everywhere you look now. The situation is desperate. On the afternoon of October the 16th, Daphne prepared a plate of tomatoes. God, where am I getting my accent from today? (laughs) 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 It could be because I was over there for a while. In October that year, Daphne wrote in her blog, There are crooks everywhere you look now. The situation is desperate. On the afternoon of October the 16th, 2017, Daphne prepared a plate of tomatoes and mozzarella for her eldest son, Matthew. He was a renowned journalist himself and had shared a Pulitzer Prize for the Panama Papers leak. Yeah. So um, the Panama Papers, in brief, are 11.5 million leaked documents dating as far back as the 1970s that detail financial and attorney-client information over 200,000 offshore shell companies. Although it's generally not against the law to own an offshore shell company, reporters found that some of the shell corporations were used for illegal purposes, including fraud, tax evasion and evading international sanctions. Daphne set down the plate and put on her shoes to go to the bank. Her husband, Peter, had left a stack of blank checks with his signature. She could, she could not access her own accounts because after she claimed that Malta's economy minister had visited a brothel while on an official mission to Germany, he persuaded a court to freeze her assets. That upset him, did it? So, so her, her husband's <laughs> got to write blank checks so that she can access cash. <clears throat> Shortly after, a local farmer heard a pop and a scream and saw Daphne yank the emergency brake. Then the gas tank exploded, launching her car into a field. The boom resonated throughout Bidnia Valley. And just like that, Daphne was killed and Malta lost a remarkable woman and possibly its greatest journalist. So now I can can reveal my final two sources. So Brutally Murdered for Telling the Truth, um, which is done by Witness History and Crime, documentaries via YouTube, and Who Killed Daphne, Caruana Galizia podcast, um, both very good. So the first one's about 45 minutes and the other's a six-part one. So Daphne's funeral. What, was it not an accident? <laughs> no, that, they only, only knew that because it was thrown into the air and into a field. 
Otherwise, I'm sure it would have gotten away with it. Actually, to be honest, it seems, it seems a little bit like had the farmer not been there, maybe it would have been an accident. Anyway, that's skipping ahead. Daphne's funeral was on the 3rd of November and the politicians had designated it a national day of mourning. Many of the politicians were attending the funeral, politicians who were also suing her despite the... F- what yeah. politicians? Despite the fact that Daphne's family had requested they don't yeah. attend. Also, a huge crowd of supporters and mourners attended. So at the time, more than 300,000 of Malta's 400,000 citizens were reading Daphne's blog. So she had a huge following within Malta, not to mention the huge outside of Malta. And her murder came as a shock to them as they grieved and searched for answers after the funeral. However, some supporters of the government posted memes with images of champagne flutes and witches burning at the stake. And there was one instance of someone driving past Daphne's son, Paul, while he was trying to give an interview, winding down the window and yelling out, boom. So there were some people who were pretty heartless about the the murder. Daphne's killing provoked national and international outrage. The European Commission, NGOs and media outlets made public statements calling for a thorough independent investigation. Thousands of people flooded onto the streets of Malta's capital, Valletta, calling for justice for Daphne. They carried placards reading, journalists will not be reduced to silence and we are not afraid. Musket, the Prime Minister, of course, appeared on television saying that he would leave no stone unturned in bringing the perpetrators to justice. Through various intermediaries, including the President, he asked her sons to endorse a 1 million euro reward for information on the assassination. In response, Daphne's sons uploaded... That's not much. That's only like one... One passport. One citizenship. Big deal. In in response, Daphne's sons uploaded (laughs) a joint Facebook post. It was their first public message and would set the tone for all that was to follow. They wrote, the government is interested in only one thing, its reputation and the need to hide the gaping hole where institutions once were. This interest is not ours. Neither was it our mother's. And then they signed off with, we are not interested in justice without change They called for the resignations of Musket, the Attorney General and the Police Commissioner, who all denied wrongdoing. Her son, Matthew, also wrote, My mother was assassinated because she stood between the rule of law and those who sought to violate it. Like many strong journalists, but she was also targeted because she was the only person doing so. This is what happens when the institutions of the state are incapacitated. The last person left standing is often a journalist, which makes her the first person left dead. The culture of impunity has been allowed to flourish by the government in Malta. So the family have gone pretty hard on the attack uh, towards the government. Importantly, Malta had experienced 19 bomb attacks between 2010 and October 2017. Several of these cases are still unsolved and many cases linked to diesel smuggling and drug trafficking. Daphne was the third person killed by a car bomb in 2017. In the latter stages of her career, Daphne was the victim of repeated death threats and was a regular defendant in defamation lawsuits. At the time of her death, she had 42 defamation and libel cases outstanding against her, and many of these were um, filed by high-ranking politicians, and some of those are the ones who also attended her funeral. After her death, these were transferred to her family to defend in an attempt to take up their time and resources. Much of her work during the final two years of her life focused on the revelations of suspicious financial activities provided by the infamous Panama Papers and specifically how they related to Malta. So the Panama Papers are called the Panama Papers because that's where they were released or where they were leaked, not 
because mm-hmm. it revolves around Panama as such. And so there's people from all over the world implicated. And so she was focusing on how it related to Malta. She broke news exposing the involvement of Maltese politicians, including that the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff was the owner of secret offshore companies, and that's the one that we spoke about in the video, and wrote that the Prime Minister's wife received one million US paid into an offshore company by the President of Azerbaijan's daughter. Now, importantly, the Prime Minister denies this, and there's been no evidence to support her statement that his wife received the money. After her murder, Daphne's sons went to England for their safety, where they enlisted the help of an international team of investigative journalists to determine who was behind Daphne. And in the podcast we were watching, they spoke about how there was a secret room in the office of the Guardian, I think it was, and it was you needed security passes to get in. There were security guards to stop people getting through. The printers and everything were, I think, airlocked or air something, she said. And it was the, the reason it was set up was to go through the documents leaked by Edward Snowden, so they had to have a secret place to do that. And that was then taken over by a group of right. 42 journalists who were all researching what had happened in, in the lead-up to Daphne's death. And also, after her death, Murder. her brother gave a hard drive to a guy who gave that information to or was a legal person rather than the police because they didn't trust the police, uh, some sort of a magistrate, I think, who then gave that to Europol, Europol. who then had these journalists going through it, so this team of people going through it in London. So whilst the police were focusing on finding those who killed Daphna, the Suns and the media team were looking for the bigger story, one that linked her death to the political corruption that existed in Malta. On the 4th of December 2017, 10 men were arrested in Malta based on prima facie evidence that they played a part in the manufacture, delivery, placement and triggering of the bomb that was used to assassinate Daphna. Seven of the men who were arrested were released without charge and three, George DiGiorgio, Alfred DiGiorgio and Vincent Musket, no relation, were arraigned and remanded in custody. All three of the accused men have a history of low-level criminality and have no record of legitimate employment but lived a life which included luxury boats. There was also a possible link to them and an an armed robbery. The three men were indicted for murder and criminal conspiracy on the 16th of July 2019, almost two years after their arrest. Among the 10 men arrested in December 2017 were Jamie Vella and Robert Aegis. The two men were not charged with the involvement in the plot to kill Daphna, but in February 2021, both men were charged with supplying the bomb that killed Daphna. The case against the two men is currently at the compilation of evidence phase, so they haven't been found guilty, they've just been charged. There are a number of people around at the time of Daphna's murder that some believe played a role in it. And so I'll talk a bit about um, some of the important people who were in and around the case that there isn't necessarily enough evidence at this point to convict or to charge, and some of them have have also been convicted. So Chris Cardona was the economic minister at the time of Daphne's murder. He was the one... Who was having it off with a prostitute in Belgium? Yeah. Correct. Yeah, yeah, correct. Um, Who was allegedly doing that. Oh, sorry, allegedly? No no charges. Who did he in someone's charger? We use the word... Allegedly. We, we, exactly. We will use the word allegedly a lot over these next few paragraphs. Everything so, we're um, saying is alleged. Feel free to chime in out. with allegedly <laughs> should I miss it. 
Exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So he was also active in promoting Malta's passport scheme and the one who was alleged to be at the brothel in Germany and responsible for freezing Daphne's bank accounts. There are allegations, there it is again, that he met with Alfred de Giorgio both before and after Daphne's murder. So Alfred was one of the brothers that was charged with, yep. uh, charged, sorry, and convicted, uh, as it turns out, with her murder. Uh, George de Giorgio alleged that Chris Cardona was the mastermind behind a separate aborted plot to assassinate Daphne in 2015. Chris, he resigned in June 2020 when Prime Minister Abila asked him to resign due to ongoing police and court revelations regarding Daphne's murder. So that's a different Prime Minister. Police were concerned about the lack of... Yeah, correct. Good pickup. So, And police were concerned about the lack of evidence against against Cardona as well as the Giorgio's demands for a reduced sentence of 15 years. So they didn't progress with charges and it's important to, start, to state that there are no charges against Chris Cardona. Then yes. Melvin Thuma... So in a testimony given by Vincent Musket, still no relation, (laughs) in exchange for a shorter sentence, he alleged that Melvin, the taxi driver, was the one who had ordered the hit. I'm with Carla on these names, He was referring to Melvin Thuma. Melvin. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of the first names. Melvin, is that a common Maltese name? I wouldn't have thought so. Doesn't sound it, does it? But Malta is also quite a, it has a very multicultural past. Mm-hmm. And and I'm thinking about some of the Maltese people I know, and I don't really know what a Maltese first name sounds like because we've Apparently, got a friend I looked who's it Joan, up and we've it is. Michelle, Melvin is Joe, pretty common. Sam, Damien, Barbara, yeah, Frederick, so I, Irene, really? God. Jimmy, Frankie, yep. Apparently very common. There you go. Yeah. I take it all back. But so but their history is, is very blended. Mm. Yeah, I was not expecting that. Right. He alleged that Melvin, the taxi driver, was the one who had ordered the hit. He was referring to Melvin Thuma, the man who had organised the hit. Police investigated Melvin and he was subsequently offered a presidential pardon for his testimony. He alleged that he was the middleman between Vincent and a man named Jürgen Fennick who had ordered the killing. So let's talk about Jürgen Fennick. Before Daphne's death, she'd been investigating a company called 17 Black. Daphne didn't know who owned the company at the time of her death. However, she knew 17 Black was registered in the UAE and was certain it was set up to channel corrupt payments to her country's leaders. It has since come out that 17 Black was owned by Jürgen Fennec, a member of Malta's richest family. And by that, I mean think, you know, the Rockefellers or the Trumps kind of thing in in American context. Jürgen was also the owner of the electricity company that was part of the Labor uh, government's new energy policy. It was going to profit oh, from I knew those that. kids, there Scooby-Doo kids came from. They knew it. <laughs> there they come. Yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> right. <laughs> and did they, is it true they had to rip off someone's mask, mask at the yeah. end to reveal yeah. that Jürgen it was Jürgen? Phoenix, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was an old lady, so a grandma or something in it. Take it off. It's a grumpy old caretaker or something. Take it off. Yes. I reckon they ripped off her mask and then it showed Vincent. Then they ripped off his mask and it showed Melvin and they ripped off Melvin's mask and it showed Jurgen. Yeah. Because you know how sometimes they had to pull off a couple of masks to get to the real one? Absolutely. There's options here. So in late November 2019, in the early hours of the morning, 
Jürgen was on his large yacht heading away from Malta towards Sicily. Doing a runner. His boat was intercepted by a number of... Was it called the land? His boat was intercepted by a number of boats and Maltese armed forces boarded the yacht and arrested him for his involvement in in the assassination of Daphna. It was actually quite funny because in this uh, documentary we were watching, they spoke about how one of the journalists was watching what was going on because he was a bit sus and he got a text to say that they were going to be leaving early in the morning. So he went down to the um, marina and was watching, you know, he was down there at like 3.30, 4 o'clock or something in the morning and was watching what was going on. And then security came over from the marina and said he's on private property, he's got to go. And he's like, oh, I'm just I'm doing anything. I'm just watching the boat, blah, blah, blah. No, you got to go, you got to go. He stood his ground, arced up. The security guy said, if you don't leave, we'll call the police. He said, we'll call the police then. Mm-hmm. So the police came and whilst he was arguing with the police, the boat starts to pull out Jürgen of the harbour. So, and way. he's saying to the police, Jürgen Fennick, the murderer, That's the is going out chasing. of the yeah. docks and you're worried about me being on, public, uh, on private property. Anyway, whilst all that was going on, he then made a few phone calls which led to people going out and apprehending Jürgen. Excuse me, officer, I just need to make a call to another officer who's going to be more interested in that boat than you are. (laughs) And you're going to be so embarrassed later. One who's interested in real crime. Correct. Egg on your face. So Jürgen Fennick uh, allegedly requested a presidential pardon to disclose what he knew. This was, so he was arrested and is awaiting trial, and the trial has been put off a number of times because... But this seems to work. Someone else got a presidential pardon for giving information. I yeah, mean, wait, there's another mask. You've just got to give me a pardon. And then I'll tell you what I know. Mm-hmm. So he was he was arrested and charged, and he's going, to go through, he's going through the court system at the moment. So, again, it's important to note that these are all allegations at this point. So his request for a presidential pardon uh, was denied and he's currently awaiting trial. As recently as October 2023, so last month, Jürgen's lawyers claimed there is evidence that indicates the involvement of Keith Shembry and others in the murder conspiracy. So Keith Shembry, exactly right. So he was the uh, Prime Minister Musket's chief of staff and one of the alleged beneficiaries of Malta's passport scheme. So as mentioned earlier, Keith Shembry was Prime Minister Musket's chief of staff and one of the alleged beneficiaries of Malta's passport scheme. In June 2015, he purchased Panama companies and his name was one of those mentioned in the Panama Papers in April 2016. He resigned in November 2019 and was subsequently arrested by police for questioning before being released. So Joseph Musket was starting to feel a heat. By mid-December 2019, there were press reports that he had a direct connection with the murder suspect, Jürgen Fennick. Importantly, small island in Malta, Jürgen Fennick was very well known, and so it wouldn't be uncommon that a, a Prime Minister would have connections with him, um, albeit perhaps not knowing that it was a murder suspect. Uh, And there were public calls made on the Prime Minister to step down immediately. After a month of public protests and amid all these revelations and resignations, Musket announced that he would step down as Prime Minister, which was to take effect in January 2020. And that's when Robert Abila replaced Joseph Musket as Prime Minister of Malta. It also saw the resignation of Minister for Gozo, Justine Caruana, again no relation, following revelations of the friendship between 
murder suspect Jürgen Fennick and her husband, former Deputy Police Chief Silvio Valletta. Valletta was previously led to <clears throat> Sorry, Valletta previously led the investigation into Daphne's murder but was taken off the case in the mid-2018 due to a conflict of interest. In January, police announced that he was under investigation. On the 17th of January 2020, Maltese Police Commissioner Lawrence Cutterjar resigned following criticism of his handling of the murder investigation. On the 23rd of February 2021, a court sentenced Vincent Musket to 15 years in prison and ordered him to pay €42,000 in court expenses after he pleaded guilty to involvement in Caruana Galizia's assassination. That was after his testimony that uh, led to Melvin and then uh, Jürgen. On the 29th of July 2021, the public inquiry into assassination of Daphne published its conclusions, finding that the state has to shoulder responsibility for the assassination because it created an atmosphere of impunity generated from the highest levels in the heart of the administration of the office of the Prime Minister and like an octopus spread to other entities, to regulatory institutions and the police, leading to the collapse of the rule of law. The inquiry made several recommendations with regard to strengthening the rule of law and the safety of journalists. Then on the 14th of October 2022, the brothers Alfred and George DiGiorgio pleaded guilty to murdering Daphne. They both received sentences of 40 years in prison and were ordered to pay a fine of €42,930 each for expenses, so for legal expenses, plus 50000 in criminal proceeds. Uh, so as we get towards the end of this, I wanted to give you an update published by theshiftnews.com uh, in September 22, 2022, so just before the brothers were convicted, which gives a bit of an update on where the public figures who were prominent at the time of Daphne's murder currently are. It, it does include a couple of previously unmentioned people, but I think it paints an important picture. So it says the following. Police Commissioner Lawrence Cutterjar's record of utter failure and deliberate inaction guaranteed impunity to officials who cashed in and to those who covered up Daphne's murder. He was finally replaced in January 2020 and handed a €31,000 per year consultancy contract with the Home Affairs Ministry. Former Economic Crimes Unit head Ian Abdillah admitted he did nothing about the Panama Papers. His stellar police work earned him a medal. He's currently doing a student placement with Heritage Malta while on suspension with pay from the police force. A student placement with Heritage Former, Malta? Yeah, Sorry, yeah. what's he learning? Yeah. How to be a tour guide? Yeah. <laughs> He's getting paid. Who cares? He's yeah. faffing around. Being a tour guide with nothing. Heritage Malta. <laughs> I, think, I think that's the point, though. Like, just go and... Do whatever you want, just don't do your job. Former Attorney General Peter Grech issued written advice to police to tread very carefully on the Panama Papers. He also told them it would be highly intrusive to seize evidence from corrupt accounting firm Nexia's BT's servers. He's now earning €62,000 per year as a consultant to the Justice Minister. Consult, consult, consult. Yeah, and big money. Like They're doing all right. Political enabler Edward Sikluna, maybe, I walked away with a pay rise. The important picture I'm trying to paint is that we're talking about September last year, five years on, and these people seem to have landed pretty well. It's not even like they've been sacked and, you know, you are now, we've cut ties, we don't think you're worthy. And, and they're, some of them are contracting back to the government. 
Well, they Very know strange. about how corruption in government works. That's how they cons- consult on it. They're subject <laughs> matter exactly experts, right. I think yeah, you yeah. call that. <laughs> yeah. That's why if you hack into NASA, they want to give you a job. Let me tell you how we did it. So his willful blindness as finance minister allowed the asset stripping of the country. Today, he's earning €100,000 per year as central bank governor while collecting over €52,000 in pensions, interest and dividends. Keith Shembury resigned from government after being arrested for questioning in connection with Daphne's murder. Conrad Mitzi resigned the same day, pushed out by cabinet colleagues who feared his stubborn refusal to leave would bring them all down. In March 2021, Shembury was charged with money laundering and other financial crimes. His case is being presided over by a magistrate who has made controversial decisions that resulted in one corrupt person of trust going free and another fugitive being released on bail. On the other hand, the US state government sanctioned Shembury and Mitzi and barred them from travelling to the US based on credible information of direct or indirect involvement in significant corruption. In Malta, they still remain untouchable. Joseph Muscat was driven from power by a month of mass protests. He claims he paid the political price for Daphne's murder by losing his job as Prime Minister and his ambition to become EC President. He walked away with a €120,000 golden handshake that he gave himself. He's now being investigated for receiving suspicious payments. The old handshake that goes like that. Congratulations. Yeah, for anyone who can't see, we're giving ourselves handshakes. Pat on the back. Have €120,000. You earned it. (laughs) He's now being investigated for receiving suspicious payments from a company linked to the Vitals Global Healthcare deal, but it remains to be seen whether anything will come of it. So they've all moved on to um, greener pastures, albeit uh, Musket is being investigated for another issue, um, as is Shembury. So with all of the mystery surrounding the case and a large amount of frustration and investigations, sorry, a large amount of frustrations that investigations and convictions are not progressing with the appropriate rigour, I found a little uh, paragraph from the European Parliament website dated the 19th of November 2023, so again just last month, and it says, in a resolution adopted with 437 votes in favour, 14 against and 66 abstentions, Parliament highlights the limited progress in judicial proceedings for Daphna, noting that there have been only three low-level convictions, and that the mastermind behind the assassination has not been convicted. Investigations into core motives and corresponding judicial proceedings should be concluded without further delay with the full and continuous involvement of Europol. That's pretty firm for for the EU, don't you think? I think they've just had Jack. They're sick of it. They're like, come on, what's going on in the Guardian's office? Who... What have the sons found out? It's all, everyone's dragging their heels. And while it's all happening on a local level, nothing's happening. Yeah. I mean, they need some external consultants <laughs> um, to, to do the job. I'm pretty sure there's some <laughs> consultants available from PwC. They've recently been freed up on Australian government work. They could be available. Mm, funnily enough. Mm. <laughs> I'll end it on this. So a couple of months before uh, she was killed, Daphna wrote, Maltese society is essentially criminal. That is how it grew and survived. Read your history. The last thing we need is to embrace it in the way we are doing now. 
if we continue to embrace criminality to make excuses for it, then we might as well stop pretending, go the whole hog and watch while all the decent young people fly out never to return. And Malta turns into 1930s Chicago. And then in brackets, quite frankly, it's there already. Or 1980s Palermo. So through all the mystery, smoke and mirrors, um, what to me is abundantly clear is that Daphne um, was a remarkable woman who worked tirelessly to hold corrupt politicians to justice, even at the expense of her own life. And that, my friends, is my story. Oh, well. What do you think? Interesting. I'm ready to sentence. (laughs) (laughs) No, No discussion points, just straight in. Oh, I mean, what's to discuss? A whole bunch of corrupt assholes. That needs to go down. Go I don't on. even care if it's alleged or not. Also, these are not the words of trial by wine. <laughs> <laughs> That's a legal voice. Yeah, no, no. I mean, Lawless's advice. All alleged, blah, blah. But anyway, in the fantasy world of our sentencing, uh, anyone who is in any way complicit in the corruption and the murder of Daphne is going to peasant world. Because I haven't been to Peasant World for a while. Yes. Mm, you haven't. And, no, in the time I have been away, I think it smells more. I think there's probably more excrement on the ground. Uh, I think the, the huts are getting a bit shabby. Swanee's been focused on other parts of Trial by Wine World. She got those permits a while back and she's been expanding it. And So we haven't really played, paid a lot of attention to old Peasant World. All those people who are vaguely responsible for the situation, whether it be ordering a direct hit or creating the corruption in the first place, they're all going down to peasant world. They're being stripped of all of those lovely euros that they were being paid afterwards. They no longer get paid. Uh, they uh, well, might let them wear some rags and um, they can go muck out some styes and live in peasant world and... That's where they stay and that's it because I think it's one of those psychological nut punch type ones that Swanee excels in where it's just stripping everything away. Everything that you sold your soul for, everything that mattered to you, the lovely yacht that you were running away in, you know, the the car, the everything, the the. The largest, the life that all of that disgusting corruption brought you is taken from you and you are in peasant world living in animal shit. Nice word. There's, I haven't okay. got a gavel, but there you go. That's my sentence. I found this quite interesting because I really, I don't really know much or anything about Malta. I knew that it was, I don't really recognise it as a tax haven per se, but I knew that lots of um, super yachts were And the cruise ships are built there. there. So I, but I never quite yeah, understood yeah. why it. Yeah, I never really understood why the letter was yeah, right. on so many boats. Now I can kind of get my head around. Now I kind of understand why, and I understand the connection with those people who are looking for second passports, looking to move money. Like, I mean, it does sound like it's a nice little hotbed for corruption. The thing that gets to me, that really sort of sticks with me, is this idea that when people are driven or motivated by money and power, what they're prepared to do... Mm to bring other people down yeah and I, I can't remember a quote i just read it the other day which was no one is going to try and drag you down more than someone who's about to tell the truth about you and that's I've, i haven't said it correctly but this is exactly what i suspect has happened with daphne is the fact that she knows so their whole you know modus operandi is to try and bring her down first yeah. because otherwise she's the one with the knowledge right and 
that's, I mean, you see it in, you know, TV, you see it in your own life, not, not a great deal, but it's that thing when someone feels threatened by their secret or their truth or whatever it is, because it's not a favourable, that one, coming out, you see them really attack. And I, I can only imagine you know, the desperation of the bad guys, the bad actors in this who are so desperate to maintain this this life that they've created through being the, the connections they've got, the, the, the way everything is, the bureaucracy that they've created. I don't know how I can smash really em. sort of smash punish them because I don't <laughs> want to talk about I don't want to talk about anyone individually. It's all alleged. It's all sort of we don't want to have our cars through. explode. But from a... <laughs> Exactly. It's that thing of at a top, looking at it from a top level kind of thing going, I'd like the people who are so panicked by being exposed that they could, that they were exposed in a way that I, I never know who, who the audience needs to be. Is it just the general public in Malta? I, I get, my concern is that if it's generations of corruption and if it's being built on that based on what Daphne had said, I, I don't know that it would be enough of a punishment to just go, well, you know, he's lying or they are lying or that's been set up to be corrupt. I'm not going to expose anyone to an audience that then goes, oh, my God, I'm disgusted and they're criminal or else it's kind of like, well, you know, it's kind of part and parcel with the way it goes. Yeah. So I'm kind of, I'm, what I'm, what, I'm not telling you anything. I'm just saying, look, this is how I think corruption works and what they're motivated by and you know that's that's typically where I'd say I'd, I'd like them to be punished in this area of that feeling like they're about to have their pants pulled down and they're terrified by that but, but no one really cares on the other side so it's yeah. like don't I, you think that murdering her was that. totally unnecessary to that point right you know they'd spent however many years calling her a witch and defaming her and whatever and a lot of people went along mm-hmm. with that and were okay with it there was no need to knock her off I think depends whose side you're looking at it from. So, I mean, you know, arguably there's never a need for that. But if you're, if you did own 17 Black and it was going to come out that you were corrupt and you were going to lose, you know, you're potentially going to lose everything you had, what was the quote, Swanny? Something about there's nothing or you don't know how far you'll go if you're about to get exposed or whatever it was. It's the idea that it's sort of like, no one's quicker to try and bring you down if you're the person who knows something about someone else and you're about yeah. to share that truth. And, so and let's I say think... I knew something about you and you panicked and went, shit, Swanee's going to go and tell the world that I've done I've this. I've got to get him I'm going to get him first. I'm going I'm yep. to defame her and I'm going to bring her down in a way that – and I don't I'm, – I'm absolutely not talking about murdering someone in that of instance. Course, it's just like a, a verbal kind of, you know, character assassination. Yeah, you go on the attack. Is usually enough. Yeah, get on the front And what court. I always find, yeah. what I do find interesting about these things is when there's been so many car bombs, whatever else, you know, when it becomes so much part of not the culture, but you know, it kind of is in a way when they've had so many, doesn't it always draw more attention? Couldn't it have been a little bit more like it was an accident? Subtle. Yes. Mm. It's like, oh, obviously she's been assassinated. Like there's no room for. Oh, Unless it was a signal to right. anyone else who kept leaking shit to her. It's like, look what happened. Yeah, possibly. So there was an allegation that the um, original way they were going to kill her was to shoot her through a window, as she, like sniper, as she sat at her desk. But there was also talk, and I think, you know, this is probably one where the timing globally was right too. So there was a new group 
can't remember their name, but they had been set up to investigate deaths of journalists literally, you know, a, a month or two beforehand. So they were looking for a case and right. this happened. There was also talk about, you know, 17 journalists had been killed in South America over I don't know what period. Why would we investigate this one rather than any of the other ones? So there was a lot of talk about, you know, why is this one so significant? And I think it was because of the timing of it. So the other ones had happened and perhaps weren't as public. Or what, I don't know. But but also I think her sons. So her sons were very much into that investigative journalism yeah, anyway. So so one right. of them had been involved in the Panama paper leaking. So it was they were very well prepped mm. to get on and, and continue the fight, which made yeah. it easier, I think. They messed with the wrong family. Mm. Right, you two, get on with it. All right. Um, I think we've discussed before, I'm not a big fan of the of hitmen, but I am less a fan <laughs> of the people no. who um, pay them. So I have, a, Order the I have a real issue with that. I just think it's, you know, it's gutless. And the fact that there are these people high lazy. up in. It's lazy. Yeah. Well, it, do the work yourself. Yeah, you know? but it's, it's, it's not just that. It's two-faced and, it's, you know, there's just a whole lot of stuff that I'm just not really comfortable with. Anyway, so. Potentially there's these politicians living the high life and getting other people to do their dirty work. So what I would like is in, um, Schmidt, you've, you've put Peasant World into, oh, trial, world sorry, no, sorry, Trial by Wine World in to my head. So I want to have a Dodgem car. Is there a roller coaster coming? Yeah, no, do- Dodgem <laughs> car ride, right? So all of the, all of the guilty people, which over time may or may not include the ones who are alleged now, but all of the guilty people are behind the wheel of a car. And one of the cars at any given time has a bomb on it, but they don't know which one it is. And so they've all got to drive around either trying to bump into people for fun or just dodge everyone because there's a bomb somewhere. And eventually the bomb will go off, at which point the game pauses and they all have to clean up the mess. So they've all got to clean up the mess that they caused because I hate the way that they keep their hands clean in real life whilst actually doing the shittiest thing mm. possible. So then clean it all up, back in. And it's kind of a last man standing game that... Gets blown up anyway. Correct. <laughs> so, yes, no one wins. We'll and send the robovax in to clean that up. And they all get to realise how disgusting the dirty work actually is and, and that there are actually people who do have to clean this shit up. So, yeah, that's my sentence for them. Excellent work, Clarky. And as I said at the beginning of today's episode, this will be coming out for New Year's. So I would just like to do the quick, in case you happen to be listening to this, at 11.59pm on the 31st of December. <laughs> so shall we count down, guys, from 10? 10, 9, 9, 8, 8 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Pepperoni! Happy there we go and if you didn't hear it over us i did pop a bottle of champagne happy new year all and And thank you very much she doesn't pop a cork for every man she meets (laughs) no i do not (laughs) (laughs) all right thank you very much and as we say every week miss you already ciao Ciao, lovelies Bye. bye thanks for listening to trial by wine 
You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com, to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com.